And I want you to think about how God can use right now what you're thinking of. He can actually use your struggles and your sufferings right now today. He can use those situations for his glory, for his praise. He can use it to refine and prune you and refine and prune me. He can use it to make much of himself that many might come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. I want us to meditate for a moment on Psalm 63. I don't know where you are today in life and the struggles and the pain and, and the difficulties, and we all have it to some degree, but I want to pray Psalm 63 uh, over each one of us today, just these first few verses of Psalm 63. And so as we bow our heads together to commune with the Father at this time, just in a moment of silence, let's cast our cares on Him. Whatever troubles you're going through today, disappointments, whatever it might be, just think about the goodness of God and listen to these words. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Father, as we come before you today, that's the the cry of our heart. God, you are the God and there is no other. We worship You and You alone. Your name is the name that's above every name. And Father, I pray as we open Your Word together today that our hearts would be united. I pray that we would thirst for Your truth in a dry and weary land. I pray at this moment, Holy Spirit, that You would begin to cultivate in my heart and all of our hearts a a deep longing to, to know You intimately. Father, we simply submit to You right now. We lay all of our idols down before You and ask You to crush them. Holy Spirit, we pray in this place that You would protect us from the lies and the schemes of the enemy. 
that we would pursue holiness and righteousness and walk in truth and purity and knowing confidently that for who the Son sets free is free indeed. So Father, as we begin to mine the Scriptures, to search them deeply and carefully, would You reveal to each one of us what You desire for each one of us to hear? But I pray we would hear Your truth. I pray that we could apply it to where we are in the journey. Lord, help us in that. That we'd hear the truth and then apply it to where we personally are in the journey. So Father, we pray against the enemy right now. Any oppression in our individual lives, our families, even our church, oh God, we pray against that by the power of the Holy Spirit that You would move that You'd have free reign to do what You want to do in my heart and each of our hearts right now. And oh God, we'll be quick as we renounce everything to give You all the praise, to give You all the glory, to lift Your name on high as we pray even right at this moment, oh God, that Your glory would rise above us as I, as we decrease, and You increase in our lives. Oh, Father, we love You. We worship You. We bow before You now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 10 through 12 today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And as you're turning there, I pray that uh, you are greatly stirred and encouraged as we meditate for a moment on our mission. We always want to keep the mission of our church in front of us. And our mission, as you know, is that we exist to give glory to God, to be disciples of Jesus, that go and make disciples of Jesus. And we really could sum it up in one simple phrase that we make disciples. There is something about being a part of a gathering, a group, a church that is on mission for the mission, amen? Uh, There is something about it. There's an energy there. There's a, a focus. There's a unity. There's a oneness. Total commitment, total obedience, we might say. I was thinking about that when I was drafting the title to this message and the the thought and the question kept ringing in my own heart, and I'll share it with you as you ask yourself rhetorically right now, but the title is simply this, Who Am I Serving? Ask yourself that question. Who am I serving? We're all serving someone or something. That's part of this life. And the outflow of a Life that's been given to Jesus will be a life that desires first to serve Him, to please Him, to make much of Him in all that we do. And from that outflow, uh, this will not be one of those things where we got to twist our arms to do this. We will greatly desire to go serve others. Burke Parsons said it like this, we don't need more of Jesus, just less of self.
we already have all of Jesus, end quote. Well, what a great reminder to me, and I pray to you as well, as you journey through life, and there's all kinds of struggles and temptations and difficulty, but I refer to it as the enemy of self. I am my own worst enemy. Uh, The pridefulness of my heart, the deceitfulness of sin in my own life, that if I'm not following godliness and pursuing holiness, I can very easily get enamored with the enemy of self. That's why this is a daily, constant battle, that we must be on mission for the mission. We must be on mission to give glory to God, to be His disciples that go and make disciples. As you think through that intro, if you will, let's read together for a moment these three verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 10 through 12. Here's what the Word of God says in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, interesting, who prophesied about the grace, make a note of that, that was to be yours, searched and inquired, how? Carefully. Now look at verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, capital S, in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories. Now look at our last verse, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news. To who? To you. How? By the Holy Spirit, Sent from where? Sent from heaven, comma, things into which angels long to look. End quote. Context. Look at there in your Bible, verse 8. Though you have not past tense seen him, you love him. Though you do not now present tense see him, you believe in him. And what do you do? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What? Obtaining, there it is, the result, the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Church, is there anything greater in your life today than Jesus Christ saving you from your sin? Is there anything greater? Now, I pray there's nothing greater in my life and your life, and I pray we live a life that gives evidence of that. There's a lot of really cool things in life, amen? There's a lot of cool things. Uh, You can buy this or buy that. You can uh, move here, move there. You can drive this, drive that. There's all kinds of good stuff in life. But there is nothing, church, there is nothing greater than being saved from your sin. Salvation is an interesting concept, especially in our finite minds. And here... Peter says these words, concerning this salvation, verse 10, concerning, you might say it like this, concerning the magnificence of the eternal rescue. That's salvation, isn't it? Salvation is that we've been rescued. If you're here today and you have salvation through Christ, you did not save yourself. 
Jesus Christ has purchased you with His blood. It's the most precious blood that has ever been shed or will ever be shed is the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that shedding of blood, we have what's called the remission of sins. I don't know if we fully grasp, church, the concept of the substitutionary atonement. That Jesus, in all His perfection, hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine, literally said, as you place your faith and trust in me, Jesus speaking, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to stand in your stead. You are guilty, John. You are condemned to death, John. You don't deserve heaven, John. You deserve hell. And Jesus goes, time out, wait a minute. I'm going to take your place. There's nothing greater that you will ever achieve in life than receiving by faith through grace and grace through faith salvation of your soul. So often as I talk with people and hear their stories, I don't know if they understand the seismic magnitude of the earthquake spiritually that happened on Calvary. I don't think we get this. I think intellectually, as we talked about last week in that word believe, we can deduct it to a degree, but I don't think we truly grasp, church, the seismic magnitude of the spiritual earthquake that shook the foundation of human mankind when Jesus Christ said, it is finished. Grace, charis, unmerited favor. Make it personal today. As Peter's writing here, he's saying, look, concerning this salvation, the prophets, the mouthpieces of God is what he's referring to, who prophesied, they divinely foretold about this grace. This grace that there's nothing that you and I bring to the table. Let me just clear this up, make this really simple and plain for me and for you. There's nothing that you and I bring to the table and God goes, I'm glad you've arrived. We've been waiting for someone as talented as you to come on the scene. The only thing that I and you bring to the table is our wretched sinfulness. That's all there is. And Jesus goes here, just bring it to me. I'll take it from you. I'll take you from from death to life, from the grip of Satan to the power of God, from the grip of darkness to the power of the light. I, Jesus, can do all these things. And here the prophets are. Can you picture? They're divinely being inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here they are writing about the Savior to come. That's why key number one in your notes, I believe, is so critical as we grow in Christ. And here it is, key number one, write it down. Searching and inquiring carefully about biblical truth 
is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. Key number one, write it down. Searching and inquiring carefully about biblical truth is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. How many by a show of hands desire to grow in Christ? I'm curious. Is there Looks like just about all of us, not all of us, but most of us do. That's a good thing. That's an awesome thing, that there's a desire there. I, I've learned this over the years that we typically don't stumble into passionate discipleship by accident. I've never encountered that. There's probably a first time for everything. It takes an intentionality to go, I see what I've been saved from and what I've been saved to. And when you begin to understand the seismic magnitude of that spiritual colossal earthquake that happened on Calvary, it will propel you as the blinders are now removed, the ears spiritually are unclogged, to live a life that says, I just want Jesus and I just want Jesus. It's faith in action. Again, not this intellectual belief that we saw there in verse 8 of last week that we talked about. It's not intellectual only, but it's action. There's something that stirs in that person. It's real. It goes deep that you see your desperate, dire need for the saving blood of Jesus. Not just as a life insurance policy from the fire insurance, but one that says, Jesus, if I don't have you, you are the air that I breathe. I can't exist. It has to get to that desperate point in America to spur us on to begin to take action of a life that is no longer lukewarm. A life that no longer just coasts along in neutral, which you're either in forward or you're in reverse when it comes to Jesus. If you claim to be in neutral, you're actually in reverse. And the damage that's being done is far beyond what you could imagine. I was thinking through that thought, and I wrote down these Scriptures, and I want you to make a note as well. Write down Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And again, going back to this concept of searching carefully, inquiring And just make a note in your notes that when Peter is writing about searching carefully and inquiring carefully, he's literally referring to the word in the original to investigate. So I hope that gives you an image of what he's saying here. He's not saying, hey, you know what, I got 12 seconds before I go into the office and, you know, I've watched Scooby-Doo in the news and checked email and was on Facebook for nine hours this morning and now I got 12 seconds to read the Bible, and I don't want to spill my coffee, so let me, let me read Jesus wept, and we're good to go for the day. That's not what he's talking about here. What you pour into you is what will come out of you. And if you're pouring nonsense in and mindless things that don't help you grow in your walk, Guess what's going to happen when the pressure gets turned up in your life? 
The Scriptures say here, when Peter's talking about they're searching carefully and inquiring carefully, they are investigating, almost like a forensic expert. I mean, going deep into the Word and saying, man, oh, well, I want to look at the Word. Oh, wait a minute. I see it right here. Oh, God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh, it faints for You. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and all of Your glory. Why? Because your steadfast love is greater than life. Therefore, my lips will praise your name. The psalmist goes on right there in 139, 23 and 24. And what an incredible text. If you really are serious about your discipleship, if you're serious about growing in Christ, What an incredible two verses every morning to read. I mean, look at those words. Search me, O God. Search me. Not my friend, not my co-worker, not my spouse. Search me. In other words, peel back all of it, Lord. What what do you see in there? Search me, O God. and, And know there's intimacy. Know my heart. Look in there, God. I know it's ugly. I know it can be so sinful in there, those attitudes of the heart and the rebellion and the deceit, but search me, God, know my heart, oh God. Try me, test me, examine me, put me under your microscope, God. Put me up on the operating table is what it's saying. And then do what? And see if there's any grievous, any wicked way in me. And then, after repenting, Lead me in the way it's everlasting. Can you imagine? Just take your family for a moment. Your little family. Dad, you're the pastor of your family. You're going to be held accountable for pastoring your home. Imagine right there, dads, that you set the tone starting tomorrow and that's your life verse for your family. And every morning, everyone's searching their own hearts Asking the Lord to get His magnifying glass out and and to see what's going on. Can you imagine what's going to happen in a short period of time as there's total surrender, total submission to Jesus? It's going to be glorious. But there's got to be a desperation there. A hunger, a thirst. As the deer pants for the water, oh, my soul longs after Thee. You alone, O God, are my heart's desire. You, nothing else in this life. You alone, O God. It's you and nothing else. Is that us today? Who are we serving truthfully? Are we serving the Lord? Which means we're surrendering to the Lord? Or is the reality we've surrendered to self? And we're serving self. Psalm 119, verse 11, says it like this. I have stored up Your Word. I have hidden Your Word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against You. Now, this isn't about just Bible memory so we can check off a list and impress your neighbor. It has nothing to do with any of this. This is about heart transformation. This is about feeding your soul. 
This is about feeding yourself spiritually. We must be self-feeders of the Word. We must be people that say, I want to be engaged in the Word. I want to store up. I want to hide God's Word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against Him. You say, well, how do you weave all this into what Peter's talking about here? I mean, what's going on in our world? What's going on in our culture today? Well, we live in a culture that's off the rails. We live in a culture that hates God and really hates Jesus. You say the name of Jesus the workplace, you're going to find out who your friends are really quickly. So what do you do? Well, Paul told Timothy right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 what to do. I think we can glean a lot from this. 2 Timothy, write it down, chapter 4, 1 through 5. Here's what Paul tells young Timothy. He says this, I charge you. That means he's not suggesting, he's commanding. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, here it is, preach the words. Herald the word. Preach the word. Be ready, what, in season and out of season. What's that mean? When it's popular and when it's not. For you dads in the room today that you're pastoring your families, for you single moms in the room, for you grandparents, you've got to be ready in season and out of season. Don't wait till you get in the trial to formulate a game plan. It's too late. It's way too late. You've got to know on the front end that if this comes my way, work out every potential scenario you can spiritually. If this comes into my life or my family's life, I know exactly the fire escape. You're doing the spiritual tornado drill, just like we did back in elementary school, right? You prepared. You were ready. You knew the enemy was coming after you, and you said, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Uh, you're not taking down my family. Why? Because you are ready, as Paul told Timothy, in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now he says this verse, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I believe that time's already here, amen? But having itching ears... They will accumulate for who? Themselves. What? Well, there's what it says. Teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, clear-headed, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, church, if there's ever a time that the church of Jesus Christ must begin to live the gospel, it's now. It's right now. We can't wait another day. Our country is unraveling at the seams spiritually. It is high time that true believers say, I'll stand in the gap. I'll be the one. We can't wait for the people to come here. We have to go get the people. The days are gone. You can put a cute sign out there and everyone flops in your boat. Those days are gone. We are living in a post-Christian America. Post-Christian. That's where we are. That's the reality. The good news is this. 
The light doesn't shine the brightest where it's the brightest, but where it's the darkest. And the gospel of Jesus Christ today in 2021 can and should be shining brightly through me and you, the vessels of the gospel. But we got to be people that choose to serve, serve our Savior, and serve others. Because the sound doctrine that is not being taught, we got denominations all over our country today that are going, yeah, God, but we thought you had it right the first time, but we're pretty sure you got it wrong. God hasn't gotten anything wrong. His word is true. This book is either absolute or it's obsolete. And we stand on the truth of God's word. This is going to take a mighty effort of believers all across this country because as I told you before, gone also are the days where at the workplace you can just kind of waffle. You're going to get called out at some point if you haven't already. What do you stand for on this? Uh, uh, uh. If you don't have a game plan, man, the enemy is going to eat you for lunch. You've got to be a person that says, I'm going to search the truth of God's Word, and even if none go with me, I'm willing to stand alone. You know why? Because when it's you and Jesus, you're always in the majority. That's the beauty of the gospel. It gives you power. It gives you conviction. It gives you confidence when it's real in your life. And if it's not real... If it's a charade, if it's phony, you'll bend, buckle, and break all day long. That's why it's so important. I hope you hear the urgency in my voice. There's coming a time, and it's now, that the people will not endure sound doctrine. They're going to heap up teachers for themselves, all kinds of nonsense the Mickey Mouse stuff going on in the evangelical world is at an all-time high, in my opinion. It's high time we say, thus saith the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of my God stands forever. Paul said, I might be chained, but the Word of God is never chained. It goes forth with power. And you got to remember, church, you got to remember this, that we are in a spiritual battle. So in your home, the spiritual war that's going on in your home today is well more intense than you could ever imagine. If you're a parent here today going, you know what, I'm all in for Jesus, here's what the enemy does. He goes, okay, fine. That's cool. You're good. You're good. If I can't get to you, I'll just get to the people closest to you to get to you. And here come the fiery darts, one after another. What do you do? What do, you, do you cower? Do you fold your tent and go home, take your marbles and baseball bat and go find a different field? No. You stand tall for the gospel. You say, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Amen. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. 
In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I love verse 11 of 1 Peter 1. It says this, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This is kind of the who and the when. So again, picture prophets and Peter's going back. He's writing to this audience that is suffering. They've been dispersed. Their life was not rosy. And he's saying, look, I want to try to paint a picture for you in the midst of your challenges, because we know this, that in the midst of the challenges, that often is the greatest testimony of our witness. If all we do is have a life that's pain-free, who in your world is going to relate to that? I don't know anyone in my world that's going to relate to that. But when they see my life, they see that it's not perfect, but prayerfully they can see that I'm growing in Christ. Prayerfully they can see that in the midst of struggles that, that God's working in me and I'm learning to trust Him more and more in the struggles. That alone, church, that alone, as your neighbors, co-workers, and family members watch you react to the trials of life, that will preach a thousand sermons. They just watch you, how you react, how I react. These prophets, this is the who and the when. And what happens? Well, there's sufferings of Christ, verse 11, and glories. So here's what I want to encourage you with in key number two. I want you to write this down in your walk with the Lord. Here it is, key number two. Embracing both Christ's sufferings and His subsequent glories is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. Key number two. Embracing both, not either or, but both, Christ's sufferings and His subsequent glories is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. I think one of the biggest challenges right now, especially working with men now for almost 20 years, is I see this, when it comes to working with men, so often it's easy to keep Jesus at a distance. Just kind of at a distance, on the surface, don't want to go real deep, keeping it at a hand's length, so to speak, arm's length. And when you read Scripture, you see so much just the contrary. You see that in these things we are more than conquerors. In Christ we have the victory. You see all this in, not apart from, not on the surface. So I want you to think about this morning your struggles. I want you to think about right now your sufferings. And I want you to think about how God can use right now what you're thinking of. He can actually use your struggles and your sufferings right now today. He can use those situations for His glory, for His praise. He can use it to refine and prune you and refine and prune me. He can use it to make much of himself that many might come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. They say, well, how do you know? Well, we look at Scripture. Write down Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. 
Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Now, Paul was a guy who, he was not one of those guys that you could look at and go, yeah, Paul, I know you're writing about this and it sounds all great, but you've never been through the fire. That was not Paul, amen? You know, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, on and on. It was just one trial after another. And Jesus was true on that Damascus road, wasn't he? When he said, Paul, I've chosen you as a divine vessel of mine to suffer for my name. But Jesus was true, wasn't he, on that one? Here's how Paul comes out of that equation in Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 10. This is Paul writing, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you catch that? Let me read this one more time. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing intimately Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I actually count them as rubbish or garbage. Why? In order, here it is, in order that I may gain Christ. And then he goes even deeper. He goes deep, deep on the spiritual level here in verse 9. He says this, and be found in Him, and be found in Christ. Listen to the humility here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends, that is anchored to, that is contingent upon faith. And then verse 10, here it is. That I might know Him. That I may know Him. Intimacy and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. Oh, church, the early church in Acts flourished not because things were going well. They flourished under, they flourished under heavy persecution. Now, something happens in my life and your life when the screws are tightened, when the pressure's on, what's really anchoring us boils to the surface. And Paul says, look, my life has been so hard. It's been a painful existence over and over. A painful existence over and over. And yet he goes, I count everything as loss for the all-surpassing worth of Jesus in my life. And then he says, that I may know him, that there may be intimacy, true fellowship, true oneness, true union, and the power of his resurrection, but also that I may share in his sufferings. Oh, our pain has purpose. I pray I'm not wasting my pain, and I pray you're not wasting yours either. 
You say, well, what do I do in the midst of the struggle I'm in? What do I do? How do I really know Him? How how do I participate in the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings? How do I do this? Well, I believe Hebrews 12.3, I believe Hebrews 12.3, as you write that down, is going to show us very clearly. It says right here, the writer of Hebrews, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that, what's that mean, church, so that? That's the why, isn't it? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Boy, that old song we sing often, turn your eyes upon Jesus, rings true, doesn't it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. That's a Hebrews 12.3 verse that's sung in a song. Consider Jesus. Look away from your trials. Look away from self. Just look to Jesus right now. Everyone look to Jesus right now. And as you begin to look to Him, all of the trials, all of the the pain, all of the disappointments in your life will grow strangely dim, not because your circumstances have changed. No, simply because you're looking unto Jesus. The author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Oh, church, your pain has purpose. Don't waste it. You say, well, I need some more encouragement. Well, write down 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. Here's what Paul now writes to the church in Corinth, that messed up church. He says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, that's an amen moment, isn't it? Like if you have given your life to Christ today, you have the victory present tense. We're not hoping this works out, not crossing our fingers, not wishing. We know our Redeemer lives. And we have victory indeed. And he goes on there, Paul does, in 58 of that same text, 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, in light of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Did you catch that? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No matter how big or how small, as you toil and labor for the Lord, as you serve others, as you minister, as you go out and do that kind deed, as you look in on that church member, as you make the phone call or send the text, the smallest of deeds for the Lord is never in vain. And you get a bunch of people doing a bunch of that and watch out for the revival. But there is a warning, and that's in John chapter 16. John 16, 33. Jesus says these words, I have said these things to you, here we go, that in me, not apart from me, that in me you may have what? Peace. I believe one of the greatest issues in our world today, both non-Christian and Christian alike, 
or we are all on this journey if we were truthful to have peace. It's not acquiring whatever you think in your mind that if you just get it, that your life's going to be better. Remember root and fruit? So the fruit is what we think, if I just get X, that life will be better. The root issue is we desperately want peace. And you can't buy peace. The only way that you can have peace is through the Prince of Peace, and His name is Jesus. That's the only way you're going to get this. But we live in a culture and a world, a Hollywood lifestyle that, you know, if I just go do this and do that and, and go here and go there, basically just run from one pain scenario from another to another, that I can somehow outrun the pain, you can never outrun it. The only way that you'll have true peace is through Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. And right here he says this. But then he goes on and says a statement that is painful but true. He says, in the world you will what? Have tribulation, but take heart. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Amen, church? This is very, very important. This is so critical in this key number two. So Jesus says this, in these things I speak to you that in me, not apart from me, if today you are looking for your contentment and peace in anything other than Jesus, you will never find peace. It won't happen. And in the process of doing that, what you're looking for, as far as I'm looking for peace apart from Jesus, what's going to happen is the damage that you're going to do in those relationships all around you many times is irreversible. In me, Jesus says, in me. That's the only place we'll find peace is in Him. And then He says this, in this world, real encouraging, in this world you will have tribulation. Now I'm glad He didn't put a period there, amen? In this world you're going to have trouble. Good luck, hope it works out. No, what did He say? In this world you will have trouble. It's the Greek word thalipsis, and it means this, it's a pressure and a pushing together. So like right now in your life and my life, we could all stand here for hours probably talking about the pressures we're all under, amen, and the stresses in life, family, financial, work-related, kids not behaving, fill in the blank, right? Whatever is in your world today, there is struggle after struggle after struggle. In this world, you're going to have problems. Why? Because we live in a broken, fallen, depraved world. But Jesus says, but take heart. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged today, church. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And for the true believer, that's a shouting, hallelujah time moment, amen? Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this. Love this quote. Our behavior in times of need, difficulty, and crisis really proclaims what we are, end quote. Wow. So what does Peter say in our final verse? Well, here it is. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have what? now been announced to you through those who preached, who heralded the good news. By the way, it's only good news, as was once said, if it gets there on time, amen? To you by the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven, 
things into which angels long to look. Angels, they're, they're messengers, but they're not perfect. And they're longing to even look because these prophets are prophesying of the things to come. And by the way, when you line up every prophecy from the Old Testament and you see that every single one has come to pass and will futuristically come to pass, there is zero probability that can happen apart from God. Amen? Good news. In order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And I think we forget that. In order for there to be good news, the good news of the gospel, there has to be bad news. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to take away the bad news? Aren't you glad that He can set you free today, that you can truly give your life totally to Him? That you can be a person that says, I'm all in. I don't want to waste another day, another breath. I want to be totally committed to Him. That when I stand face to face with Him and have to give an account, and by the way, every one of us will give an account of how we lived our lives. Every one of us. Some will be at the Bema seat. That's for the life that was truly given to Christ. We're still giving an account. And there will be some professing believers, I'm convinced, but have never given their life to Jesus that will stand at that great white throne judgment and it's going to be all over. Who are you serving today? Because who we serve is a direct reflection of who owns us. Write down these following verses. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, 23 through 26. This is what Jesus says, and He's talking about denying self. And as I'm thinking through that even right now, go ahead and write down key number three to set this up. Write down key number three, our final key. Key number three, denying self and serving others is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. Denying self and serving others is paramount to true spiritual growth in Christ. You might ask it like this, are you spiritually working on the person within you? Just think about that thought for a moment rhetorically. Are you, are we working spiritually on the person within us? Is there a desire to grow in Christ, to move forward in Christ, to be that disciple, to be urgent, to implement what we've learned? Is there that thirst, that hunger to, again, go this direction, which is forward, not go in reverse? That's why Luke says it so well here. Jesus speaking, 9.23-26, through 26, and He said to all, if anyone would come after Me, let him, it means this, do this, let him deny himself and take up his cross, how often? Daily. Don't miss that. And follow me. Now pause there for a moment. Deny self, take up cross, follow me. Deny self, it's the hardest thing that you and I will ever do. We can talk a good game, but true self-denial comes out in our actions. And Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to come after me, if you really want to be one of mine, you've got to deny yourself. You must then take up your cross. It's the extent of the denial. How far will you take the denial? 
You're willing to carry your cross today? And then Jesus says, wherever I lead you, are you willing to follow me wherever I go? He goes on and says these words, 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits his soul? 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You know, to answer that question, who or what am I serving, we can simply ask this, who or what am I denying? Do I, do you live a life that says, I want to deny myself today. I want to get up and I want to put others first. I want to live for Jesus, even if none go with me. I'm going to decide to follow Jesus and there's going to be no turning back, no turning back. I was thinking about that thought and it reminds me of this final Galatians 2.20 verse that I want you to write down. This was a number of years ago. I was preaching in South Carolina, and I'll remember it for the rest of my days. And at the end of the service, a, a lady came up, and, and she was just weeping uncontrollably. It was just a flow of tears, and she was what we would call a seasoned lady. She was an older lady. And I said, how can I help you? And this was all she said. Galatians 2.20. That was it. Just in the midst of the tears, she's like, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. But what? The Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. See, there's a death. The old man, the old woman are gone. There's a new man, a new woman on the scene. And the life that I now live, what happens in the flesh? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. Is it really that big of a stretch to give everything to Jesus? Is it really risky to surrender all and no longer surrender some? I would argue the risk is not giving everything to Jesus in the first place. That's risky. Speaking of turning everything over to Jesus, I'm sitting at a coffee shop yesterday and I'm working here on this message and I'm praying and getting ready to listen to some music and and there's two ladies that are sitting next to me, probably five and a half feet away, roughly. And they were close. And they were talking about their church in a good way, in a positive way. And I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing. I'm getting ready to put in my earbuds to listen to my music so I can work. And all I heard, the last statement was this from one of the ladies, I'm turning everything over to Jesus. I was like, wow. So I was going to show up at this coffee shop two hours earlier, but God had me delayed for a reason because 
He wanted me to hear that come out of her mouth because what an incredible encouragement that was for me to hear someone I don't even know talking about the Lord with another person, and in the midst of that struggle, whatever that struggle was, she had come to the conclusion, I'm just giving everything to Jesus. I thought, what an incredible idea. That's why the takeaway question is simply this. Am I truly good with God? Be honest when you answer that. Am I truly good with God? I mean, how do you know when you're truly good with God? Well, by faith, you you give your life to Him. Uh, By faith, you surrender all. Uh, By faith, you say, I want to be all in. I want to make a difference. I want to live every day for His glory, for His praise. I'm believing in Him, which means I'm committing total trust in Him. That's how you know. You start each day with a desperate cry to the Lord. Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Oh, I pray that as we long as a church to be all in, I pray that you and I remember that the servants follow the Master, not the other way around. And as we live a life that says, I'm all in, and I want to make a difference, and I don't want to be casual, but I want to serve. I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve others. No matter where you are on the spectrum of life, serving others is a glorious, glorious blessing. And so many times we, we work our entire lives to store up a war chest. So for a few years, we can live the American dream, which is really the American nightmare. And we've wasted all that time and all those resources. And we could be saying, I'm all in all the days of my life. Who are you serving today? Who owns you? Who owns me? That's why our action step is simply this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will strive to walk in the fear of the Lord and humbly pursue the mind of Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will strive to walk in the fear of the Lord and humbly pursue the mind of Christ. You're probably wondering by now why we talk about obedience so much around here. Why do you talk about obedience so much? Well, it's a pretty simple answer. Because the Bible does. And I don't know about you, but but I want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Amen? Don't you want to be a person that you're just like, God, I want to be like Paul. Count everything else as loss. Be determined to do nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's a life worth living there. That's a life that's going to leave a legacy. That's a life that you're going to get to the end and they're going to stand at your funeral and they're going to say, wow, he wasn't perfect, she wasn't perfect, but they were all in for Jesus. 
That's the life I want to live, and I pray you do too. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, as we lift up our hearts to you, as we meditate on your truth, on your word, don't allow us to, to live a life that just floats along with the world. But, oh God, I pray that we'd live a life that is surrendered, is totally committed. God, it's just too easy in our culture to, to claim that we're in for Jesus. But so often it's all talk. Father, I pray right now in my heart and every heart here today that that we'd be challenged to be all in. To be totally surrendered. That we'd renounce everything, abandon everything for the call of the Gospel to go forth. Oh Lord, raise up a generation. Raise up men and women and students all over this place that would simply declare today that I'll go. I'll go across the street. I'll do whatever you want me to, Lord. So Father, I pray in this moment, would you give us spines of spiritual titanium. Right now, help us to decide to follow you. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Oh, Father, would you move in this time? Do the work that only you can do. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.